The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. How are you, friend? Welcome to another episode of the Paul Leslie Hour. It was just the other day, a friend of mine was asking about the interviews that I've done with talk show hosts, and he was remarking, it's kind of interesting, you talk to the talkers. Well, that's certainly true when it comes to this interview with Joe Franklin. I told him about some of the talk show hosts that I have interviewed, which include Larry King, Elliot Mintz, and Joe Franklin. Joe Franklin, you might be asking. He has the unique distinction of going down in history as being the first television talk show host. He had a television series that debuted in 1951 and continued on the air until 1993. Therefore, you could say that he surpassed Johnny Carson even. Joe Franklin was listed in the Guinness World Records as the longest-running, continuous, on-air television talk show host, more than a decade longer than the late Johnny Carson's run. In the interview that we did, we talked about some of the all-time greats in show business. I'm talking about the people like Eddie Cantor and Al Jolson. Joe Franklin was definitely a nostalgia buff. He knew all of those people. He did thousands and thousands of interviews throughout his career. He was very knowledgeable, very passionate, and most of all, nice. He was born March 9th, 1926, meaning his birthday was just a couple days ago. Sadly, Joe Franklin passed away January 24th, 2015. I hope you enjoy this fast-paced interview with Joe Franklin. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a great pleasure to welcome the great Joe Franklin. Joe Franklin is someone who has brought a lot of joy into the world. The Joe Franklin Show ran on television for 40 consecutive years, featuring guests in the hundreds of thousands. Joe Franklin has played himself in films like Manhattan, Ghostbusters, 29th Street, and Broadway Danny Rose. Joe Franklin has been honored by the Museum of Television and Radio and is still active today. In the words of Howard Stern, Joe Franklin is a celebrity you have to love. Mr. Franklin, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, what a nice uh, eulogy. I mean, what a nice introduction. I really appreciate it. That's a very nice way of putting it. I, I did TV for 43 years. 43 years, believe it or not. That's a long time, right? And then counting radio, I think I've been in this business now about 60 years. I'm, I'm only 39 years old. <laughs> I would have been I would have been forty, but I was sick for one year. <laughs> I'm sorry, I apologize, but I'm I'm, I'm still going strong. So we interviews every day on Bloomberg Radio here in New York City. This week I got Cindy Lauper, I got Neil Sedaka, I got Olivia Newton John. I, I I call my little segment the business of show business because I'm more or less the uh, nostalgic uh, historian in the world of show business, and I'm I'm not going to quit until I get it right. So I'm just going to keep on practicing until I get it right, Paul. Well, I think most stories are best from the beginning. What was life like growing up? Well, I was I was in the army when I was I was in the army when I was seventeen and a half years old, and I had a little accident in the service, and then I began playing old records on the army radio station in Temple, Texas. I was in Campwood, Texas, and I worried about me. Got written up in the uh, Stars and Stripes and in New York Paper, like the New York Times and Daily News. And when I got out of the army, they they sent for me to take a job on the local radio station called WHOM. I had a program called Joe Franklin's Vaudeville Echoes, and I got paid zero. Then I got a phone call one day from WNEW 
was a major radio station back in those days. And they said, Joe, whatever you're making, we want you on our station. We'll, we'll double your salaries. And I was getting paid zero. So I had to think fast. I said, well, I'm making $20 a show. They said, Joe, we'll double it. So I went to WNEW and I met a man named Martin Block, who was the famous disc jockey on that radio station with his make-believe ballroom. And he gave me a job cho choosing his records. And from there, he got me my own radio show on WNEW, which I called the Record Collectors Exchange. I would go out to different stores and buy old records for a penny a piece. Old Al Jolson's, old Eddie Cantor's, old Sophie Tucker's, old Fanny Price's, old Rudy Valley's. I'd come on there and say, here's a record worth $500. I'd make up those crazy stories. The next day, I go back to that same store, and I, I pick out five records. I put down five pennies on the counter. The man says, come here, kid. We mean kids. He says, I heard somebody on the radio last night saying these records worth $500 a piece. So more or less uh, created the collector's market, the uh, blockbuster market of old records. That was the beginning of my true nostalgia career. I'm known more, more or less as the king of nostalgia. Not not king of neuralgia, king of nostalgia. And, I, and one day I get a phone call from Channel 7. That's WABC-TV. Then, then it was WJZ-TV. And they said, Joe, we, we, heard, we heard your voice on the radio. We like your voice. And we're considering, we're just thinking about maybe lighting up in the daytime. But there was no daytime TV yet. The TV was on the air only from 5 o'clock at night till sermonette. They said, Joe, if we gave you an hour a day and I proposed a daytime schedule, what kind of a show might you do? I said, well, that might I do a show of people just talking, nose to nose, or eyeball to eyeball, something very pure, very organic, from the bones. I said, oh, you're out of your mind. You can't do a talk show on television. The word of television, you have to give them a vision. You have to give them a sales bottle, frat balls, baggy pants, got in burlesque. You can't just do it. There's no such thing as a talk show. I said, well, you know, rock and roll polls just come out. I said, oh, I wish you have kids dancing to records. I said, oh, you're nuts. Who's going to watch kids <laughs> on TV dance to records? Who's going to go on Dick Clark? becomes a billionaire. But I, I, I defied them. I did the first pure. Nose to Nose TV talk show. My first guests included Kim Novak, Eddie Canada, Georgie Jessel. I mean, I had tremendous. I, so, I, so I, that day, and I've got the, the film that that A and E or no Hirsch Hirsch made a film called It's Only Talk, and it runs about two hours. And they showed that I, that Joe Franklin, invented the talk show. There was no talk show before that, so I can take a little bow. There was I mean, every time you read up a paper today, somebody's got their, their own talk show. They come and go today like 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 flies. But I did create the talk show for better or worse, and I'm still carrying on. And, and in fact, what I'm doing now is on 11:30 a.m. Bloomberg Radio, the same station, same kilocycles as I started on on. on WNDW 11:30 a.m. 60 years ago, so life goes full cycle. You know what I'm saying? It's like where I began, but I'm still enjoying it. And I do lectures at colleges and nursing homes, and I do nostalgia memories. I was in the nursing home two weeks ago, and I, I see a, a little lecture in the nursing home. I see a, a man in the front row falling asleep. I says to his wife, hey, what's that all about? He says, he says my husband is sleeping. I says, well, do me a favor, wake him up. You should, no, you wake him up. You put him to sleep. Huh. <laughs> they, got, they got a good sense of you with those old-timers. Okay, I've written 23 books. I've got whatever you want to tell me. Whatever you want to ask me, Paul, I appreciate it. But I'm very happy to be on your show. I've been a fan of yours for a long time, and it's, it's fun to be chatting with you. Well, Mr. Franklin, you mentioned a moment ago the name Eddie Cantor. Right. And that's someone that maybe young people should find out about. He's an important person in American popular culture. Tell us about him. You know what's sad? I'll tell you about Eddie in a second. Said how people don't know. I met a lady the other day. She never heard of Joan Crawford. I heard my story. They never heard of Betty Davis. Never heard of Rudy Valley. The, the fame is very fleeting. They, they barely know Bing Crosby nowadays. Frank Sinatra's magic is waning. So it's very noble of you to want to keep those names alive a little bit on this radio show. Eddie Cantor was the number one star in all of the world for many, many years. He was number one on radio with the old Chase and Sanborn Hour every Sunday night at 8 o'clock. He was number one in movies with movies like Roman Scandals and Strike Me Pink and uh, so many that would line up around the 
block around the clock at Radio City Music Hall. There was a game in Seattle. He had a movie like Whoopi, making Whoopi. And he was number one in Royville at the Palisade. He the tennis record at the Palisade. He was on the bill with Georgie Jessel. He was number one in phonograph record sales in the 1920s. So he was he was known as the Apostle of Pep. He was, was the energy that they needed in the early days of the Depression in the early 30s. He was very lively and bright and sparkling and jumping up and down. And there was a big movie on his life called The Eddie Cannon Story with Keith Frizzell. It was not such a great movie, though, but he was, he filled an important part in show business history. He died in 1964 at the age of 72. In fact, I wrote his radio show when I was a kid. He gave me a job writing his radio show and providing him with the old records that I, that I had saved up and little anecdotes about the stars. So I'm glad we had a little bit There's still old timers I remember him and love him, but the young generation today, it's all uh, rock and roll and Puff Daddy and Lady Gaga and Madonna, and you can't you can't knock what's current, right? You can't knock it. Trends do come and go. Trends change, but I've got a lot of memories of the old timers that I knew and loved when I was a kid. Veronica Lake and Rudy Valley and Kate Smith and Thank God bless Mary. They were all different in my way back when. One of the people in your book, and I'm talking about your book Up Late with Joe Franklin. Yes. Just a fantastic entertaining book that really could keep you up at night. I wanted to ask you about meeting the great Al Jolson. What was your first impression? Well, he was known as the world's greatest entertainer. One night when I was a kid, I turned on the radio and I heard that voice. I said, my God, what a voice. I was maybe 10 years old. I just fell in love with that voice. And I, I met him several times. When they made the movie called The Jolson Story with Larry Parks. I, I was lucky enough to be made sort of technical advisor. I, I lent him some of my old records. And I, I, I had dinner with Al Jolson a few times. He was, I mean, when he would do a Broadway, he was in many, many Broadway shows. And then about 10 minutes into the show, he would say to the audience, listen, should I send the cast home or just sing to you? And they would, they, they would scream, yes, yes. He was in the whole cast home and sing for about two and a half, three hours. He sang Sonny Boy and Rockabye Your Baby with a Dixie Melody and Swanee and all those great songs. He was he was beyond dynamic, beyond beyond tantalizing, beyond anything. He was just a great, great star. He died in 1950, age only 64. But what he crowded into that lifetime, it was great, 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 great track record. It was Al Jolson. He was, there were Al Jolson conventions all over the world today where people line up by the thousands to come and remember him and honor him and watch his old movies and play his old records. So it's a bygone era, Paul, but it's it's nice to be remembered. And I, I hope that many of your people that are listening now remember Jolson, remember Cantor, and remember what the fun it was back in those days. There's another name that I wanted to get your impression when you met yeah. George M. Cohan. I met him in the park on a bench when I was a kid. I recognized him from having seen him in a Broadway show called I'd Rather Be Right. And I said, Mr. Cohen, did you make any records? He gave me a record. He went next time. I met him at his house. But a week later, he gave me a record. A one-sided record. There was no such thing. It was a 78 RPM. One before LPs, one before albums. So I'll go, you won't do any business if you don't. You won't do any business if you haven't got a band. You won't do any business if you haven't got a band. And you had a record for me in white shoe polish. I said, Mr. Cohen, how many records did you make? He said, he made about six or seven back in the old days. So I set out to buy those records and, and, and searching for that, I, I found out that Jolson made thousands, Eddie Cannon made thousands, Kate Smith made thousands. So that was, roundabout. that was the beginning of my searching and making the rounds to like old records. That's how I became known as the king of neuralgia. I mean, nostalgia. <laughs> and Cohen was my inspiration. He was my mentor for everything I did in later years in this business. I, I, I remember him fondly. He, was, he wrote Yankee Doodle Dandy. I'm a, I'm a Yankee Doodle Dandy. He wrote, you're a grand old flag. Originally, it was called your grand old rag. 
of the era of rag time, but the public didn't like that connotation of the word rag, so he changed it to your grand old flag. And he wrote marriage a grand old name, and so many fabulous songs. George M. Cohen was one of C O H A and Cohen. He was best. I had Charlie Chaplin on my TV show, and he I, I had Ronald Reagan five times. I had Richard Nixon. I had. John Wayne, at Cary Grant, I had, I mentioned Frank Sinatra twice, Bing Crosby twice, I think I had them all. I tried for Greta Garbo. Greta Garbo was a dear friend of mine, but Greta Garbo would not go on any shows. She said, I want to be alone, but she was just, we've got great memories for her. I wanted to ask you about Woody Allen. Woody yeah. Allen is just probably the greatest filmmaker, in my humble opinion, right. of American film. I'm in, I'm in several of Woody Allen movies. I'm in Broadway, Danny Rose. I'm in Manhattan. He's, he's a very dear friend of mine, and I enjoy his work. I think he's a genius filmmaker, and I can only tell you that when he makes a movie, there's no script. He just tells you, just, he just, you see the flavor of the, of the movie role, and it's just fantastic. The kind of a mind he's got is brilliant. He's, remember, you ever see Broadway, Danny Rose? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I'm in the pivotal scene, you know, where the singer's trying to make his comeback, the old timer. And he's very different. You can't knock that. He's a modern day Charlie Chaplin, I guess. You can't knock that, you know. What do you find him to be like personally? Very quiet, very, very subdued. Totally, totally into it. I mean, I think he still goes to a psychiatrist, as so many people do. He wants to know the meaning of life. He's the, the genius of the movie business, still is to this day. His movies are eagerly awaited, and they do pretty big business all over the world, so he's, he's certainly got his niche. Both on radio and on television, who has been your most talented guest? I would say Bing Crosby. That's the one who excited me. The I, oh, I always thought of Bing, Paul, was what you would call mechanically reproduced. I thought of Bing on, on radio, on TV, on records, in movies. On, but when he walked with me flesh and blood that day, I think I melted. I think I did my best interview that day. I don't know, half a million. Half a million interviews, I think I did my best one with Bing. He was my favorite. And, you know, the ironic thing, he, he was not that romantic. It's kind of ironic that the number one singer in the world of romantic ballads was not that romantic. He would tell the songwriters, he would say, don't put the word out love you twice in one song. I think he'd rather be out hunting or fishing with the boys. But, but Bing was his own man. He, his record of White Christmas is still the number one record seller of all time. And he was, I, I just loved Bing Crosby. I had people that never made any appearances on TV, including Cary Grant, including John Wayne, who didn't ever do any interviews anyplace else. With but Bing's, Bing, Bing remains in my mind a highlight, if not the highlight. Wow. Another one would be Frank Sinatra. He was the best, but what a voice. And there'll be another Sinatra. I've asked him one time, I said, Frank, how could you have been under contract at one time to three people you were under contract? I remember Tommy Dorsey, the famous band leader, Harry James, the famous band leader, and your press agent, George Evans. He said, Joe, let me tell you one thing. He said, hearts and contracts were meant to be broken. It's not, <laughs> it's not ten of hearts and contracts were meant to be broken. I know for that, but he, was, he, he spoke a little bit like a kid from the East Side, but when he sang, he was thrilled with nobody ever had that voice. He would make every song into a story with the middle, with the beginning, with an ending. He was just beyond captivating. Memory will endure. One artist who still records, still tours, who got some early exposure on the Joe Franklin show would be Barry Manilow. And he's a singer who has paid a lot of homage to the old time greats and the Tin Pan Alley, the American songbook, as you would say. Tell us about Manilow. You know, he's a legend. He certainly is a music legend, along with Billy Joel and so many more. My, one of my backup singers for Barry Manilow was Madonna. 
And I knew she was going to make good. She, was, she said to the other singers, back up, back up, back up. I knew I was, she was very depressing. She knew how to merchandise her own career. With Barbara Streisand had been my singer for one year. Before she was maybe 17 years old, she was my, my house singer. She was followed by Connie Francis. Connie was followed by Eddie Fisher. I had Patty Page when she was very young. Remember Patty Page, the singing rage? Remember that name, Patty Page? I had, I had them all of my, in those days, I had a big orchestra, a 15-piece, 18-piece orchestra to play for these singers, and it was a great era of live TV. I, I would have all my commercials on the, I was some, one time I had 28 commercials on my desk, 28 commercials, which I did live, 28, you know, Martin Paint, Bertoli Olive Oil, and, uh, Nabisco Shredded Wheat, Imperial Margarine, all on my desk was a cluttered, most cluttered desk, almost as cluttered as my office is nowadays, my office is quite well known being such a mess, but I, I, I'm enjoying it. I'm still, I'm still uh, you know, in demand for radio or TV. They want me to go back on TV, which I never will. I'm not, uh, not, I don't want to get into that, uh, that much rehearsal anymore, but it was, it was a golden era. I was there when TV was brand new, and I grew up with it, and I became part of it. I was very close with Johnny Carson. I was on his show a couple times. He was on my show a couple times, and they were all gone, all the other talk show, except for Dick Cavett. I think Dick uh, Cavett and I were the last two. Johnny Carson, Merle Griffin, Mike Douglas, Jack Parr, they're all gone. Uh, I got great sacred memories of those people. I loved them, but we, we're, I'm still hanging on. Now, you mentioned Barbara Streisand a moment ago. What was your impression of her when you met her? I knew she'd make good. One time she was on my panel with Rudy Valley. Rudy Valley says, you'll never make it, Barbara. You don't have the right face. You don't have the right nose. And that sort of gave her even more of a reason to accept that challenge and make good. She got a part in the Broadway show written by Harold Rome, who discovered her on my show. Harold Rome, the famous songwriter. And that Broadway show was called I Can Get It For You Wholesale. She sang a song called Miss Marmelstein, Miss Marmelstein. Then, of course, after that, she became uh, the star of a big Broadway show called Funny Girl, where she portrayed the late comedian Fanny Bryce. She certainly took off, and you can't knock her. She made $3 million a month ago singing at a banker's convention. $3 million for one performance. I got, I always say, I got to work two weeks for that kind of money. <laughs> <laughs> you were mentioning the other talk show hosts, and right. one of them that's based out of New York City, who as you like to say, he's made good. Tell, tell us about David Letterman. David Letterman has had you. Oh, yeah, you can't knock what pays the rent. He's gigantic. As a Jay Leno, I used to get Jay Leno little jobs in here and there in nightclubs to get rolling. He still calls me and says hello to me. And David Letterman, of course, he's the one and only. He's beyond the broadcast legend. He's, I guess, about 65, 67, 68 years old now, but you got to give him credit. He comes on every night. He's just so spontaneous and so clever and humorous and throws his pencil in there into the audience and so forth. Can't mock it. He's beyond a legend. As is Jay Leno, you can't mock it. Now he's got these new ones coming up like Jimmy Fallon and all these others. They're lucky to be in this field, but they've got a certain likability factor that the public seems to enjoy. What does New York mean to you? Well, I'm kind of known as Broadway Joe. I've been in this vicinity for about 50, 60 years now. And some people think it's going downhill, but I think under the tutelage of Mayor Bloomberg has gone uphill. And we've got a new mayor soon. Mr. de Blasio is also a dear friend of mine. So it's, I think it's, uh, education is up. Graduations are up. Tourism is way up. Filmmaking in the city is now maybe bigger than what it is in California. New York, to me, is, is the pivotal part of the whole the whole country. It's the museums, the, the stock market. Market. It's. Uh, I love New York. I love the, the fiber, the, the ambiance, the, the uh, track record. It's here to stay. It's definitely here to stay. What is the best thing about being Joe Franklin? Well, I think the best thing is that 
I mean, in all modesty, I'm, I'm very recognized, even though I've been on TV now for so many years. Every place I go, Joe, we love you, we miss you, we learned so much from you. We learned culture, we learned Americana, we learned about movies, about old time radio. We, and, uh, I would take on any topic, and you know, I had a fantastic run on some of the Guinness Book of World Records somewhere for the world's longest running TV talk show. And I never had a talent coordinator. I was always my own. I could, I could feel in my mind the chemistry. I could feel who who go well on my panel. I, 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 Ronald Reagan with the dancing dentist. I would have Margaret Mead, the man who whistled through his nose. I, I could feel who'd go well together. I had a very well-known mix. I would sometimes have 15 guests on one show. I don't know how I got them in there, but I would, I would pack them in there some days. Some days, I mean, if, I, if I had a Bill Cosby or somebody like that, I would give them the whole hour, naturally. But I've got maybe out of my 28,000 shows, i got maybe about 500, maybe 500 on, uh, on video, which I saved. The rest are kind of displaced. They would tape one show over the over the, the last show. That's how they saved a lot of money back in those days, which is kind of sad. I wish I had more shows. They preserved more than 500, but that's, that's the way the cookie crumbles. <laughs> <laughs> this is a question I used to ask people, but I'm very curious to know, what yeah. is your all-time favorite meal? I would say meatballs and spaghetti. Believe it or not, I'm very simple. And I, I love lamb chops and meatballs and spaghetti, and I guess I like a little jello at the end. I'm like Duke Ellington, so I like to have my dessert at the beginning, because if later on, I want to over the end of the meal, so I have my, my dessert first, my <laughs> cheesecake, whatever, before I start the meal, but I, I, I try to cut down, you know, it's, uh, the calories mounted. I, I, I think the best policy is just have half the plate, have half the plate, and then whatever's left, push the, push the plate away with the, with the second half, you know. For anyone who listens to this broadcast, wherever they are in the world, what do you want to say to the people who are listening in? I just want to say thank you for your loyalty, for your response. I mean, I, one of my deep regrets is that I never answered my fan mail. I got thousands and thousands of people who must hate me because I never had it. They wrote it for autograph pictures or for, they wanted to send me souvenirs. I just never got around to it. The days go so fast. But it's just, except for being a little guilty about that fact that I didn't answer my mail. And I got thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of letters which I never answered. I'm, I'm happy that I, I was able to teach people Americana culture show business brush going to do the best I can for as long as they, they want me. I've got so many nibbles to uh, guest appearances and bring back the old Joe Franklin show, which I said I never would, but it's just an amazing career. I've written one book, the, the Bible of the film industry is called Classics of the Silent Screen. It's a film history that's second to done, sold over a million books. And I've written Joe Franklin's awfully corny joke books, Joe Franklin's memory made cookbook, the famous favorite recipes are so many little big movie stars of the past, Claude Gable's uh, Onions and Jack Benny's Meatballs. Oh, it's a great book. And I've got so many of them. I'm doing a book now called Growing Up with Radio. It'll be out soon. About the old radio stars. And I got a trivia book with Square One Publishers called Joe Franklin's Trivia Game. It's a big, big seller all over the world. My, my last book, Paul, is now in the third printing. You want to know why? Why is that? The first two printings were blurred. <laughs> I'm only kidding, but I, uh, I still enjoy knocking out these things and um, do a lot of benefits. I do a lot of speeches at the universities, and the college kids love when I do a question and answer bit and ask me about the old days and Gone with the Wind and Lucille Ball and Lassie and Lost in Space. I chose the right profession, I think, you know? Yeah, I would definitely have to agree with you. For my last question. Okay. Who is Joe Franklin? Well, he's a certain guy that I'd like to get to meet someday. He's, he's a very shy, very modest guy. He doesn't blow his horn too much. I never made the circus of the big-time parties. Never had a major, never had, if I had a major manager, and I had somebody who wanted to work with me. I, just never, I felt intimidated. I just did it all by myself. And you can 
like it, it worked. I could have been even bigger and been a multi multi millionaire, but I've got my niche and I'm Joe Franklin who's just never went to wild parties, never looked at the in, in, in the social register. I'm, I'm, I've been always been invited all over the world. Italy, Israel, France with the airline free, the hotel free. I just never took advantage. I just didn't want to be a, like a mooch. I never took anything for nothing. I always paid my rent way any place I went and it's been a great career and I meet nice people like you, Paul, so it's, it pays off at the end, you know? Wow. Well, Mr. Franklin, I can say there is only one Joe Franklin. You brought a lot of joy. And one is enough, Paul, and you're longer. you got a good radio personality. I want to wish you much success. Like I wanted to be able to like you to chat with eventually, so we'll be in touch, right? Absolutely. I hope to have you again. Thank you so much. Paul, if you want to, when we hang up, would you call me back for one second? Sure, sure. And God bless you. It's been my pleasure. I'll be here. Give me one more call, Paul. Thanks. The boop, bop, deep, bop, doodly, keep, bop, doodly, shop. Goodbye.